Hello, good evening and welcome to Seascapes. On tonight's programme, the America's Cup, we hear the latest from New Zealand and from Ireland. And Irish sailor Tom Dolan on his podium finish in the solo figure race in France last night. Last night, New Zealand announced a six-week extension in the deadline for countries to finalise details of their bids to host the America's Cup. Ireland is in pole position to get the event, but officials in the Department of Sport have demanded six months to evaluate the costs and benefits to Ireland. Our bid looked dead in the water earlier this week, but now there's some breathing space. Paul Lewis is a journalist with the New Zealand Herald in Auckland. I spoke to him earlier and asked him why Team New Zealand had decided on this extension. Well, I think simply just to give themselves uh, more time. I mean, clearly um, there's been hold-ups on the Irish side of things and I think they want to give them enough time to sort sort things out on both ends. Um, I mean, from what I've been told, we, uh, the New Zealand's heard that the Department of Sport in Ireland wants another six months, and clearly that's not doable. So I think a, a time's been put to the Irish authorities uh, in which they hope to work it out. Have they done this just so that they can get Ireland on board and hopefully that Ireland will be in a position to put in a, an actual bid to hold it? Well, my understanding is they're very keen on New Zealand. You know, Team New Zealand are very keen on Ireland. Um, and it, it, I think it's got favourite um, positioning still, uh, but I think you know the the government, the Department of Sport, and uh, whoever's behind the push for holding the event in Ireland, they need to align pretty quickly. Why is it not being held in Auckland this time? Uh, th- there is, There has been some infighting going on and you've had people coming in, business people coming in and disagreements with the team. The short answer is lack of money. Uh, Grant Dalton and Team New Zealand have always said that uh, they haven't been able, because of COVID-19 and the world economic situation, they haven't been able to raise the money that they need for uh, a home defence. And they've they're putting that at about 200 million New Zealand dollars. Which would be about 150 million euros. Yeah. Yep. What, what does that money go on? Some of it is the event, and I, I wish I knew the actual breakdown, and some of it is for the team. Um, and that was the problem with the government offer from New Zealand, this New Zealand government offer this time, is the total was 99 million but a lot of that was in kind and it boiled down to about 30 31 million in cash and as far as i can tell from what i can understand from very rough figures uh we're still about 120 million short okay and so some of that goes to the actual team to put the boat on the water yes it goes to salaries for a very what is now a very big team Um, but also the cost of actually running the event, which is um, pretty big, as I'm sure you won't be surprised to hear. What was the experience in Auckland in 2021? The the event itself went on for almost three months. Look, I'm not completely unbiased, of course, but it was very good. And and working, as I do for the New Zealand Herald and and watching our website, you see some really, really interesting uh, figures come up from uh, readership and viewership. 
Um, we were getting millions of people uh, on a spike when the America's Cup was at its height. And the nation really does follow it. It's, it's right up there with the Olympics and the All Blacks at its height. Pretty big following, and um, I think everyone here was delighted to see the television pictures beaming around the world of the Waitamata Harbour and uh, the environment that the, the racing was, was held in went round the world. But because of COVID, New Zealand government effectively banned visitors. Yeah, I gather some in Europe are calling us the Hermit Kingdom these days. <laughs> it's not so much we're banning visitors, Fergal, as uh, pursuing this policy, policy of eliminating the virus. Um, we've been in a lockdown here in Auckland for the last month, and it's looking like we'll get out of uh, level four anyway um, next week. Um, hard to know, but uh, the country seems to be really behind the government in this pursuit. Is in New Zealand is sailing seen as a, an elitist sport? It is by some, but I think that's a, a, a very narrow view. If you um, if you look around Auckland in particular, and, and sailing clubs up and down the country, they are populated by a lot of families and a lot of kids in very small dinghies who learn how to sail at a very young age. It, it's all um, very much a rite of passage in a in an island country, um, as Ireland will be well aware. It, it, it really is um, not an elitist sport grassroots, although, of course, once you get up to America's Cup level and professional international sailors, yes, it is. That probably means it's sporting elite rather than it's societal elite, which is almost a different thing. But one thing I noticed, I was lucky enough to be in Auckland for this programme a couple of years ago. You have one of the biggest marinas in the world that I could see, and it's easily accessible to anybody in the city. Was that marina built as part of the infrastructure for the America's Cup? Oh, no. Well, look, the marina's been there um, for uh, some time, if you're talking about West Haven and surrounds. However, the, the viaduct, which is uh, the sort of waterfront entertainment area in Auckland, that's very much come to pass because of the America's Cup. The viaduct and the Wynyard Quarter are very much uh, legacy items of infrastructure in Auckland um, because of the Cup. When you mentioned Team New Zealand, you mentioned Grant Dalton. He is the controlling figure for the America's Cup at the moment. Who is he? What's he like? Yeah, he's a... Uh, He's a very interesting man. Um, I'm lucky enough to get on very well with Grant, and um, he is a very direct and um, forthright person. He doesn't hide his views, um, but I've always found him to be a very straight shooter, and if, you, if you're if you a straight shooter with him, you get on fine. Um, he has a, a, perhaps a tendency to rub some people up the wrong way, but uh, I, I personally have... Uh, uh, had found him to be very good to deal with he's and a great fundraiser for Team New Zealand as well he's done had a great record over the years and uh, I think it's been upset this time by of course the pandemic His record in sailing is almost second to none Yeah I mean a very good um, sailor in his own right but I think uh, his real legacy will be will be with Team New Zealand as a um, CEO and as a manager because he, he pulled them out the cactus in 2003 when they looked like they were going to die. And they've looked like they were going to die a couple of times since, and he's always pulled them out of it. 
what kind what what is Team New Zealand like? What kind of preparation do they put in? What's the funding model? Well, they're an incredibly professional operation and I mean to most of us we we, we don't see much behind the closed doors these days, but um they are probably one of the most well, if not the most technologically advanced sporting team on the planet. From your experience in New Zealand of hosting the America's Cup now twice, I think, would you recommend it to us? Yeah, I would. I think it puts you on the map, and I think the television coverage is so good these days that uh, if your country has um, some beauty and some spots that you would like to recommend to those who are looking on, it's a terrific opportunity. Um, You get a lot of um, hot air about the America's Cup. There's all these econometric studies done which say you're going to earn, you know, you're going to spend 250 million euro, but you'll you'll reap 500 million euro. No one really knows how true that is. But uh, to my mind, the investment that you make in the America's Cup is something that pays off long after it's finished because it because of the impression that you give the rest of the world about your country. And many thanks to Paul Lewis in Auckland. Maurice O'Connell is RT's Olympic sailing analyst and a regular contributor to Seascapes. It's no secret that he, and everyone like him, is massively behind Ireland's bid. He told me about the America's Cup, the boats, the economics and the people involved. Well, I think the America's Cup, Fergal, is like the Formula One of racing boats. Uh, The boats can kill people like a Formula One car has and has done so. Uh, They're very, very high speed. They travel at about 75 kilometers an hour, uh, which is an extraordinary speed for a wind-powered vessel. Um, They're extremely sophisticated carbon fiber machines that not only sail, but essentially fly above the water on hydrofoils. Um, So the boats are spectacular. the event itself will be run over a period of about two to three months in 2024. The race course or the viewing area, the grandstand or the field of play, if you like to call it, will be a two kilometre circle outside Cork Harbour. There will be a dock out party where the teams uh, assemble in the morning in the race village for um, you know the public and the press to meet them. And then there will be three or four races each day. There'll be knockout rounds, quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, international teams and, you know, professional athletes at the peak of their physical and mental powers. Olympic gold medalists, big screens, rock concert venue and just the whole jamboree that gets associated with a huge international sporting event. But differently from, let's say, the Ryder Cup or, or a Formula One event, It goes on for many months, the event itself. But more importantly, teams, up to 200 people per team, six or eight teams, will base themselves here in Ireland for two years plus um, to prepare for the event. So it's a vast sporting event, unlike any other, for all those reasons. You know Cork Harbour well, you're from there. Is, will it be yeah. a spectator event? Will be, people actually be able to see it or is it out at sea? One of the criteria for any host city is that there has to be a natural amphitheatre, Fergal, where people can look at the racing. 
and Cork Harbour has got that unique geography whereby there are natural vantage points on Roaches Point, on Roberts Head, on Fountainstone, in Myrtleville, whereby people can look at the racing from the shore, but also, you know, the racing itself, you can, you know, there will be the ability for people to get out on thousands of different boats, from small boats to big boats, to get out and look at the racing. So it's as close to sitting in a grandstand in a, in a stadium or a racetrack as you can get, given the fact that these machines will be uh, will be flying above the water over a two-kilometre race course. So, yes, you will be uh, you will be able to see it and uh, the public will be able to get a really close view. And if these teams come and base themselves here, what kind of facilities do they need? So they will need, each team w- would have between 50 and 200 people, depending on how close it gets to the event. So each team will need a significant amount of space, which will include um, an enormous hangar where the uh, race boats can be stored every night for with the masts up and uh, the tech teams work all night, every night on tuning and preparing the boats for the next day's racing and also, you know, repairing any damage and optimising and development work that they uh, need to do from the previous day's racing or testing. So they need offices, um, they will need uh, workshops, sail lofts, boatyards, all that sort of stuff. So teams need accommodation, housing. Now, when you talk about the facilities, you mentioned warehouses, very tall warehouses where these boats can be stored with their masts up. Will they have to be built Mm. from scratch? The Cork Dockyard in Cove Fergal is a 44-acre site um, that's currently, broadly speaking, you know, fairly open and free. And um, it, it was the um, old Verome Dockyard. It was the old Verome Dockyard, and it, you know, it's partially used right now. But Cork and Ireland are very fortunate that that site is available. It's it's deep water, so no dredging has to be done. Um, we understand that, you know, a skim of concrete has got to be put over the top of it. And yes, each team will need a hangar built and constructed for them. There is actually two, I think, uh, I was down there for a look at the site, Fergal, in June. There's certainly one, if not two, very, very large hangar type buildings there already. As far as I know, these buildings are relatively easily constructed. And um, and obviously, they've got to be reasonably proximate to the shoreside. So, that the race boats can be can be craned out and and more or less directly put in the water. You're involved in the sailing business and water activity business in Ireland full time. What's your this now has moved into the political sphere. What's your understanding of what's going on at the moment? Well, uh, I think that there was nervousness in in government and and senior civil service circles about the potential risk. And I think that now that we have a little bit of breathing space um, because of the extension announced last night uh, by Emirates Team New Zealand, I think that we have some space now to do some real work in analysing the potential costs involved, but also grabbing the opportunity um, of the potential rewards. And I think that we are in a very fortunate position that we have some breathing space that we can actually do that work um, and we have an Ernst & Young feasibility report, which indicates that for an outlay of 
150 million euro, there is a return of 500 million euro. But I think the important thing, Fergal, is that of that 150 million euro, um, 100 million of it is capital legacy infrastructure spend on things like the, the electrification of the Cork Cove railway line, the upgrading of the roads, the upgrading of the dockyards, and all that stuff is legacy infrastructure that gets left behind for generations and decades to come. So essentially it's the 50 million euro, which is you know current expenditure, if you like, that gets spent on you know, TV screens, grandstands, mm. sponsorships, sure. all that sort of stuff. Um, and that's the spend that that, and then it's spread over three years. And and I understand as much as anybody else that there are many pressures on government spending. They can't allocate funds to everything, but I think that we should really move heaven and earth to make sure that the due diligence is done, that we make the assessment, do the analysis, and that we grasp this opportunity because it will not be offered to Ireland again. And I think it's no secret that Ireland are the preferred bidder. Yeah, it seems to me from speaking to people in New Zealand that they really want to hold it here. They do. You know, the the the, the team from Origin Sports, who were the organisation contracted to evaluate the whole cities, they had a very successful two-day visit here in June and they were really, really impressed with everything that was laid on. You know, the harbour, uh, the naval service, the dockyard, you know, the representatives from local government, uh, the representatives from national government and the can-do attitude that Ireland uh, portrayed in that visit. And it... it it seems to me that it would be it would be a crying shame if we let that opportunity slip away without um, without really moving in heaven and earth to make it happen. I, th- I think even from if you think from the hoteliers' point of view, bed and breakfasts, you know, plumbers, painters, carpenters, electricians, t-shirt sellers, boat drivers, you know, you know the the benefits to Cove and the Cork region in Ireland economically will be massive for so many different people we should really try our level best to try and get this. And thanks to Maurice O'Connell. Now, have a listen to this. This is Irish sailor Tom Dolan finishing in third place in the final leg of the Solitaire du Figaro race in France last night. It's one of the world's biggest solo sailing races. I caught up with a typically understated Tom Dolan in France this morning. Tom, congratulations on your finish last night. 687 miles. You must be exhausted. Was it that much? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, I'm fairly tired. All right. I'm actually feeling better than I did other, other years. I could, I could do I could went into a fifth leg if I had to. You've had four legs of this race over how, what period of time? Uh, over a month, yeah. It was, it was a month, like five weeks even. It was a long, a long old event, all right. Now tell me about the race, uh, the leg you've just finished, which is was from France around the Fastnet Rock and back again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the each each leg is about, each each leg is an offshore race in itself, and the, and the the results are over cumulated time. So it's, it's an overall time of the whole of the whole thing. And the last leg was a race around the Fastnet and back. It was more more or less like a a Fastnet race in itself. So we left from Roscoff. first mark of the the, the race course was a Fastnet, and then bang down to San there. How long did it take you? Four days, I think. I haven't really counted exactly what day it was. Yeah, four days. Four days altogether because it was very, very light wind. Uh, just uh, at, at the Fastnet Rock and then on, on the way back down, it was, it was quite complex. So 
because we, we were we were expecting it to be five days altogether. Just well, it wasn't because I ran out of water. I only I only half a liter of water left. Oh really? Okay, <laughs> but but you were, you were first around the fastnet itself. How did you manage that? You went on a different side of the course, I understand. Yeah, I did. Yeah, well, the, the thing was, um, the first night was very, very thick fog, and we, we all we all have on board with this kind of AIS. It's called it. Most most sailors have it. Like it's a kind of system where you see all the other boats, and it makes it turns turns our race into a bit of a computer game. So everyone kind of looks at the AIS and looks at what the others are doing, and you get a kind of group mentality. But we, we, whatever way, there was something weird to turn the whole leg with the with with the VHF waves. So fairly quickly from the start, the AIS didn't work, and it was very thick fog, so I didn't see the whole fleet, and I had. Written, you know, I had in my notes. I said, right, the, the, there was more wind in the west, and to me that was fairly clear. And like the, the last images I saw of the, of the fleet, where they were all kind of sailing, pointing towards the the, the inside of Land's End, and sure, I was I put a waypoint as the Fastnet Rock, I named it the waypoint. So to me, the strategy was fairly clear to go west, and uh, apparently it turned out that all the others kind of were influenced by themselves, and they all kind of followed each other in inside the Land's End. And I, the next morning, I woke up. When I woke up, I came out of the night. And the fog and was completely on my own. So usually in offshore racing, when you're completely on your own, it's either a very good sign or a very very bad sign. Usually a very bad sign. <laughs> so it's like, oh, oh, I'm either really really far ahead or really really far behind. And um, yeah, what turned out was really really far ahead. So it was kind of shows shows you we, we we spend so much time looking at the AIS and the best the best legs I've ever done, the best race I've ever done is when I haven't had an AIS. So. Okay, why why do you think that is? It gets you out of the group, think you're not influenced by anybody else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you you go back to the the basics of 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 of, of strategy of, of of what what what's important in your strategy, whether it be the wind, whether it be the tides, whether it be the. You were first around the fastnet rock. Were you around there day or night time, and and what was night the conditions? Time. Yeah, that that was really cool to be honest, because I was kind of the <laughs> before before leaving my girlfriend, I was like, I may show you first at the fastnet, and I kind of laugh at it, go, yeah, Jesus, yeah. And, <laughs> and I was like, Jesus, I'm gonna be first at the fastnet. I could be very, very, very first at the fastnet, but I ran into some some light wind, and the whole fleet caught up. But yeah, it was powerful moment all the time because I'm thinking Jesus because I, I, I lived in Baltimore for, eight, for a good, good few years so I've been around the Fastnet loads of times and it was kind of it was, it was complete night time with fog and everything so I didn't even I didn't even see Ireland but nearly ran into the thing No matter how t- how many times you've been around the Fastnet Rock though every time you go around is a landmark occasion because it is this rock down off the southwest coast of Ireland it's world famous Fairly cool racing boy to, 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 to race around to be honest yeah <laughs> It is yeah, fairly well known, especially in France and in England and then places like that. To be honest, growing up, I never even really heard of the Fastnet. When you, you hear of it, but outside of sailing terms, it's a bit little less known. But um, once you get into the sailing, everyone's kind of the Fastnet, the Fastnet, and it becomes quite mythic. So to, to finally race around it and to, 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 to lead around it was, uh, was fairly special, to be honest. Even though Xavier wasn't far behind it. Yeah, on, on, the way, on the way back to France, they caught up with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we sailed straight into a, a, a what you call it? A kind of dying frontal system, so it was at least that I knew we knew from the start that whoever was first at the fastnet would be caught up on very, very quickly. So at least I knew I was ready okay. ahead for the whole fleet to come back out of nowhere. So that was kind of a t- a tough in a way, but at least I knew it. I knew it. I should have okay, and you miles ahead now, but it's not gonna, it's not gonna last that long because okay. So you knew from the way the weather was coming that it was going to the further away you were from the fastnet, the less wind was going to come, it was going to yeah, fill yeah. in from behind, so people were going to catch up with you. Kind of the, the thing with offshore racing, sometimes the rich get richer and sometimes the poor get poor, and at least the rich, the rich get poorer. At least I managed to stay ahead, though. I was fairly happy because a lot of the time when that happens, if you, if you crack up, you can say, Oh, Lord, I'm, no, 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 everyone's going to pass me, everyone's going to pass me. And you see the whole fleet sailing past, and you panic, and 
you can lose a lot of places. But uh, when you eventually finished, you what? Just eleven minutes behind the guy who won? Was it that much? I don't, I don't even know. Yeah, he wasn't. I could see him ahead. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah, eleven yeah. minutes apparently. It's a lot. I'm thinking. Oh. <laughs> is it? No, yeah, but a mile is a lot. Yes, it's a mile is hard to do it again. Now we we've just been listening to some of the commentary as you crossed the line last late, very late last night, early this morning. You were obviously delighted with your third place there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. First podium, I think. Yeah, first podium. It's the first time I've even been. It's it, uh, uh, leading a fleet in, in the figure, also. It's kind of it's a lot of. And I didn't have like a very very bad second leg, which time wise put me put me down the rankings. So it was kind of it was, it was kind of written that like it was kind of going to be very complicated to, to scrape back up the rankings. So it was good to finish on a high and and and, and to realise that I can uh, play up front and and the lead and when I'm in the lead I can stay in the lead. So it's very positive for next year. Just have to work on the old self confidence, I suppose, because it's kind of it's hard being surrounded by all these rock stars that I've been following for years. Sometimes you can you can doubt yourself fairly quickly, you know. You can the oh, you know, I'm, I'm not doing. The way you put it to I me before is that when you see all these guys out there, you say, well, look, all these best sailors in the world, and here I am, a, far- a farmer from County Meath. What am I doing here? Surely. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not anymore. No, especially if I did, like, it shows I didn't have the AIS, so I didn't, I didn't know where all these rock star sailors were, and I, I did the best leg I've ever done, so. What next for you now? Uh, well, I'm going to have a bit of a rest, and I'm going to come home. I can't, I haven't, with the, with the whole COVID thing, I haven't, uh, I haven't been home in almost, Jesus, almost three years, I suppose, so I'm itching to come back and go back to Kell County Mead to see my, see my mother and my family and, and meet the lads and go for a few scoops and relax. <laughs> I miss home a lot, to be honest. I can't wait to, can't wait to go home and see, see Kell County Mead, the green, green grass of home, I suppose, because I didn't even see it going in the fast net, but then straight back into getting ready for next year. Tom Dolan speaking to me from France earlier. Now, Tom finished in 15th place overall and he's storming up the rankings in this event. He's a big star in France. And that's it for Seascapes for this week. We're back at the same time next Friday. Everything on the programme's podcast is on our website, rte.ie slash seascapes. If you want to contact me or the programme, the email is seascapes at rte.ie. If you're anywhere on or near the water over the next week, stay safe. Seascapes was presented and produced by Fergal Keane.